Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. Cure. You stare at the lines on the little white stick, and your heart fills with dreams for the life growing inside you. You hold your beautiful child in your arms, and now those dreams have a face. These dreams aren't necessarily extravagant. They could be little league games, dance recitals, first days of school with a backpack that's too large for their body. But what happens when medical complexities, in our family's case, epilepsy, begins to steal those dreams? First steps and first words come much later than what is typical or not at all. The future, once clear, becomes hazy and uncertain. You fight like hell and love your child with every ounce of your being. But now sadness tinges the corners. You're mourning the life you had envisioned for your child and family. A year before our daughter Adelaide passed away from a neurodegenerative disorder and complications from epilepsy, I invited my husband, Hamilton star Miguel Cervantes, to discuss this process on our Seizing Life set. At the time, we had no idea what the next year would hold for our daughter. We were just doing our best to care for our family while mourning our idealized life. Thanks for coming back, babe. I'm happy to be here again. <laughs> um, so let's throw back. It's 2009. We have just gotten married. You are um, about to step onto the Broadway stage to do American Idiot. And I'm working in restaurants and, and we have our entire future ahead of us. What are you envisioning? What are you picturing our future looks like? I remember when I was growing up, I, I really, like, I think I wanted to have a family, get married, have, you know, and, and raise kids. You know, I came from two brothers, and so there were always people around. I had a bunch of cousins, so there were always kids around. I've always felt like creating a family environment and having that of my own would be, was something that I really wanted and was so excited that you thought about that too and well fun fact I actually probably could have gone either way on kids right. I wasn't entirely positive if I wanted to have children or not but when I fell in love with you I knew that your purpose on in life was to be a father like if there is a reason that people are put on this earth like they have one purpose yours was absolutely to be a dad so I was like well if this is the man I love I guess I'm having kids <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad it worked out um but you know, I, I think that's sort of that was the dream I had when I when we got married, and at some point there would be kids, and we just had to figure it out. And you know, uh, the actor's life is is hard, and and we were both actors at the time, and trying to figure out what our life was going to be and how we were going to, you know, create our future. Um, and then you know, as three, you know, two, one year turned to two and three, and then I thought I just remember thinking. Um, you know, I, I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want, I don't feel like waiting anymore. I feel like we're ready. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, what did I say? I said, we pulled the goalie, we pulled the goalie. <laughs> and, uh, when I was out in, in California and we just kind of thought, let's see what happens. And, you know, that was when I feel like you were doing spring awakening at San Jose yeah, rep. Yeah. And I, I feel came like out and visited <laughs> that, that was when, um, and then, you know, I got home and, and we found out we were pregnant and, I feel like that's when sort of the the picture of what our life was began to come into focus, you know. Um, Did it ever, um, 
ever even cross your mind that we could possibly have a child that wasn't neurotypical or? I mean, I guess, but it never felt like we were, I never had any sort of uh, handicapped or, or special needs family members or friends really uh, that were in my the forefront of my mind. So it really was, it was just, it, it felt, I didn't feel like we were in any jeopardy or if we need to be worried and, and we weren't, you know, yeah. and we weren't. And I think, and that, and that sense of security, and not a sense of security, but you know, the assuredness, oh, that our son was healthy, we didn't have anything to worry about. Well, and we were also the first of most of our friends to have children yeah. too. So we were sort of ignorant to a yeah, lot you of don't, it. You don't think about it. It's not, it's not something you want to even bring up into the world, into, mm -hmm. into, your, into your psyche. So I don't even, I don't remember being overly nervous, especially when the initial tests came back and everything looked fine and there was never any problem. Um, but, you know, and that's how it was. And that's, and we were, and I thought, and I, I was making plans for our family and for our son. And, you know, uh, as my career, I guess, was moving along and, and we decided to buy a house and everything just felt like we were moving in the, in the right direction. And even though times were hard financially, you know, the acting life is, is, is a tough way to, to raise kids, it felt like we were gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. It felt like we were going to be fine, and our little cute little family um, was was going to be was going to be okay. And and uh, and as we ended up moving to our little suburban house in New Jersey, and I had my yard, and we were doing the housework, and we were pregnant again, and then all of that. Like, and then I think you know when we moved out to New Jersey is when is when reality reality started to creep into our lives. You know, we had the pregnancy that we lost in the middle and all of a sudden complications that are terrible um, came right into our, right into our front yard, into our, into our life. And, um, um, and that was the first time that I began to think of um, like a different version of life. But, it, but at the same time, you know, the way that the doctors made it sound is like the word, everything was fine, that things just sort of randomly happened. And so we got pregnant again, and it was a girl, and all of a sudden, life's back on track, and we're going, it's going, 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 and, and so new expectations of life, and you know, my son's gonna have a baby sister, and I'm gonna have a daughter, and she's gonna get married one day, and we're gonna have this, you know, storybook life, and everything's gonna be great, and, and, um, and that's what, I dreamed of. That's what I thought of. That's what was going to happen. And that's why I had no reason to think that that was not going to be the case. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. For the 65 million people worldwide living with epilepsy, progress is unacceptably slow. At CURE, our mission is to find a cure for epilepsy by promoting and funding patient-focused research. Learn more at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. At what point did you realize that our life was not going to be that idealized version that we had pictured? Um, even after she was born and things weren't quite right with her, any parent would, would hear about the situation or think about and, and, and get all the information and still think that everything could still end up being okay, that everything still could make its way out of this 
terrible news and, and, and you know, you go down these internet search holes to say that, oh, there are stories of, of you know, recovery positive or outcomes. positive outcomes or you something. You called it our cone of possibility. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think in, 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 a, in our situation, you know, you get bad news and you see all of these outcomes that are spread, spread all over the internet and some of them are, oh yeah, you know, everything was fine and, and at the end of the day, I have a healthy baby, I have a healthy child. And the other end is the worst terrible news you can get. And so that's a big cone, right? And I thought, we're way down here at the beginning and where our, where our end is, is not known. And no doctor was telling us, oh, this is, this is how it's gonna be. So, you know, I didn't put all those, I didn't pull all of those, the dreams and stuff to bed. It was just a, a, a hiccup, a road, road bump, a, a bump in the road, you know? And, and I think it was, it, was, <clears throat> it was easy to stay there for a while as more and more information was coming. Um, and it's, you know, you ask about when it, when it happened, I think it's happened. She's three years old. My you know, Adelaide's three years old. And I think it's finally happened finally, you know, within the last six months or a year, she's been sick for three years and only now do I really look at her and look at our family in a way that's resigned. Or acceptance. Acceptance, yeah, I, I resign, I accept our role, I accept what our family is, I accept what my daughter is and is not. And it took a while because no matter what information you get, no matter what you're seeing with your own eyes, the, the hope is always gonna be there to have that life that you dream of or some version of it or mm -hmm. some some even small sliver of of that. And what emotions did you go through to get there? Because I feel like we processed Adelaide differently and that the morning, we and I don't know if it's a man and woman thing, you are far more optimistic than I am in general. Um, you know, so there's definitely, you know, more personality traits at play as well. But um, in those earlier days, I, you know, were we've moved to Chicago and it's sort of, you know, problem after problem arises, setback after setback, regression after regression. And um, our, our response to that early on was very different. I think it's kind of come closer, we've come together more, but um, now that we have gotten to a place of acceptance, but those, those earlier days when we were working through that and mourning and those emotions, what was, do you remember the path that you went through? I, I just always remember thinking that, that it felt like there had to be um, a reason that this was happening because we didn't have a reason that this was happening. A diagnosis. A diagnosis that all this was going bad, that there had to have been some reason why she was as bad as she was. And if we could just find the, the, the door into the, into the, you know, into the puzzle, the, the, the key to the puzzle that though typical and normal probably wasn't on our, there was always something else. There was always some other, you know, uh, there was always some other, other way to get in, in, into her head. Um, I guess it was denial. It wasn't even denial. I just, it's hard, it's hard for, a, it was hard for me to, to, 
give up hope, any little glimpse of anything, I kept always saying, oh, what if we try this? Or what if we try that? We're gonna try that. And I would do this and we can maybe try that. And, and then why don't we do this? And, and um, I feel like it was always a constant hope that, that we just hadn't found it yet. We hadn't mm -hmm. seen it yet. And I think that still is the case now. It has to be. And we always do that. But and I, and I got mad and I got sad about and I remember you turned inward a lot. Yeah, I did you not. You didn't really want to leave the house. And, um, and of course, my response to all of it, I felt so helpless in being able to help Adelaide that I like jumped into you know, volunteering and fundraising with Cure and because I needed to see results. I needed to feel action. I needed to feel like I was doing something because nothing I was doing was helping Adelaide. So I had to get out. And you didn't need that. I had to like pull you behind me, kicking and screaming yeah, at first. I just, I don't, I, re, I, re, I guess in, in the first year that we were here, the, the Hamilton sort of experience was, was so, it was such a, it was so, it was so much. It was so much, so much was happening. And at the same time, we were also trying to find out what was, what was going on with, with Adelaide and with our daughter and you know I kept thinking like what what how is this even possible that that we can have these two worlds happening at the same time and and then you know we kind of got involved and it was this really weird place of really wanting to be involved and understanding how important it could be for us and for the epilepsy community and everybody to put my face out there and say stuff. And at the same time, I hated everything about it. I hated everything about it. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't want to see it. I was not because we weren't, it felt like if we have to deal with this. We have to focus on our child and we have to, and all of that's a distraction. And why would we, we, we're, this is the most important thing. And it was really hard to, to step out of our own bubble of pain. Our own crisis. And yeah, and, and say that maybe helping out and maybe saying stuff about it, maybe talking about it and finding out more would, would, would help us. And, but it, to, to sort of understand that our situation was as dire as it was, was hard to, was really hard to, to accept for me, for, 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 for her, for Jackson, for her son. And, and I think it was, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to share our story with people. I didn't really want to get involved with, with all of the, with all of the outside world because it was... It was emotional. It, was, it sucked. I mean, it was not the, the... As the dream of our life and our future was crumbling around us with every doctor's appointment with her and every failed treatment and every failed drug and every new cluster of seizures, I said, what the hell are we doing here? Like, why are we even trying? Like, what is... What is what's the point of any of, all, of, any of this? And, and I think... And I'm not, I, I still get that way. I still feel that way all the time. I feel, I feel like it's, it stays there. That feeling never stops. Well, and what's interesting is that I think I finally got to that place. It took me much longer, but I sort of, it took 
it wasn't until we had to resuscitate Adelaide for the second time. So um, October of 2017, her heart nearly stopped and the doctors had to resuscitate her, but I was still able to push through that. It was the second time when I was like, okay, we're, we could feasibly lose her, that I, I started to feel that, that desperation, that not being able to talk about it in a way that I had been very open to. It took me, but it took me two years to get to the same place yeah. that you had been um, we're talking about it just wasn't, it wasn't helping. I was able to, to come around, but it was, it was a whole new, I, I feel like we mourn different things at different stages. There was, you know, I, in the beginning I mourned, you know, Jackson having the sister that I wanted him to have. I mourned her being able to lead a full life. I mourned being able to plan a wedding with her or watching you two have a first dance at a wedding and, you know, sending her off to prom or, you know, all of the, the things that you look forward to with your daughter. And then, you know, and then there was, you know, because Adelaide's condition is so severe, I, you know, there was, you know, almost pre-morning, you know, mourning her life. You know, you watch your daughter be resuscitated twice and you, you start to realize how fragile life actually is. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't feel like the mourning stage ever, ever is over. We were in a constant state of mourning of the life that, that epilepsy took from us. Um, but I also feel like with each of those mourning phases, I, I do come to a place of acceptance. Um, how have you been able to find acceptance in, in this life and, and, you know, what, you know, accepting our new normal? Acceptance is such a crazy word for it because, you know, people say all the time, like, you guys are so strong, <laughs> such strong parents. You, yeah. What you do is so amazing. And I said, well, we don't really have much of a choice. No. You know, we don't get to say, you know what, we're not going to do that today. I don't feel like it. You know, no yeah. parent does has that option, especially us, you, and and the and the care that she needs. We don't get to say, um, I don't I don't have the strength today. I can't. No, I don't I, feel like giving her I meds tonight. I'm just really tired. I, I don't accept this today. Yeah. Um. So it's forced acceptance. It's shoved down our throats, whether we like it or not, and. It, it's it's a day-to-day -day battle. It's a day-to-day -day struggle. I, I, you know, I'll hold her hand now and say, you know, I, and and feel so sad for the little girl that is not there, mm -hmm. the little girl that I wanted to be there. I I look at her and I look at Jackson, hug her, and I'm so sad for him and for his sister that he wanted and 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 the. The, 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 the life that he envisions and even still does. And that makes me sad too, because he doesn't have the same understanding. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, it doesn't, it, it doesn't take it away to say that, that I understand that through her illness and through her situation, we have helped people and we are helping people. 
and we continue to help people. And I, I get it, and I accept that as well. <laughs> so to put those two things, you know, on a scale, I don't, I, sometimes it doesn't balance. But I see them as two sides of the same coin. Yes. I think that the, the advocacy that we're able to do and being out there and talking about it and fundraising, that helps me accept it, that there is, that Adelaide's life is not in vain, that we are able to take her story and her life and our story and do something with it. To me, that helps me accept it. Yes. Yes. But it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the other part of this that we don't talk about as much and we don't get to talk about because through this struggle we are making good. But I would give up the struggle and the good to have yeah. my daughter. And so is that fair? No. Is that, d does that make me less um, excited about all the help that we have raised and all the money we've raised for cure and research? No, I think it's amazing. You know, the sweat and the, and the, and the hard work that we've put into to this organization, it's amazing. Would I give it all back? Yes, absolutely. And so acceptance is not, it, it's, it's a, we are forced to find meaning in what we do. And we are, we are happy to use our pain and grief to do good, mm -hmm. but it doesn't make me happy for my, for my daughter or for well, our and family. I don't think that acceptance has to mean happy. Acceptance means this is the situation that we are forced to live with. And we, you can either, you know, live in despair and, and mourning, or you can accept the situation for what it is because we can't change it and make the most out of it and, and love her and accept who she is and, and love the disabled little girl that she is, which of course we do, but in accepting her circumstances, we can also let go of those idealized dreams that we had for her and just live in the moment and, and love the daughter that we have. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what mourning is, right? That's, I think that's the mourning, the mourning process, the mourning to go through all the steps of, you know, and, and that's, it doesn't go, it's not gone, it doesn't go away, I think. Um, most days I feel that way. Most mm -hmm. days I, I, I look at her without a lot of pain or without pain and more just love and, and I, I try to just make sure she, she knows that we're there and knows that we care about her and that's most days. Mm -hmm. Some days I am much more <laughs> aware of the morning. And the and the and the loss, mm -hmm. and then somebody will write a Facebook post or something about about how much that what we do means to them and how much we have helped, and you can put away, put it back in your pocket a little bit and say, yes, wouldn't that other life have been grand? 
Yeah. Um, but we don't have that life and any anger and, 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 and resentment just fuels. It's just it's going gonna, it's gonna to eat us up. And, I, and so I, we are able to put it away. Um, How do but, you do that? What techniques do you use to, to process those emotions? I'm very lucky. I'm a very lucky person in so far that I go to, when I go to my job, um, I have to pretend to be somebody else. Um, and so I can sort of make my brain go into different places. But also at my job, I'm asked very specifically to cry a lot. <laughs> so that does help. So there are times every day that I can, if I'm really feeling some sort of you know, terrible emotion, that I can release it enough to feel like the, 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 mm-hmm. the dam can break a little bit and, and it doesn't you know, shut me down. In fact, it probably makes the show better. Um, <laughs> um, but I think that's a valid point is like giving yourself permission to release those emotions. You get paid to do yeah, it. Yeah. Not everyone else does. I, you know, find the, our shower is a lovely place yeah. to release yeah. those emotions. But um, for those of us who don't, you know, do it in front of thousands of people yeah. every night. But um, I, I really do feel though that it's, it's about, it's, it's about accepting the morning. It's accepting the loss, making sure that you give yourself permission to be angry mm-hmm. that this was the card that we were dealt. Yeah. You know, that doesn't make what we do with it any less important. And I have to remember that myself. I have to make sure I remember that despite how I feel about our situation from day to day, from, you know, from one, one day to the next, that on top of it all, we can really, we really are helping people. We can really make people, we can make change happen. And, mm. you know, that's, it makes it much more, you know, palatable to say, if this was our, this is the, the life that we have and this is the life that my family has, then, um, then, then we, we, accept, we, we accept the responsibility that we've been given to take care of her and then to to do what we can beyond that. And, you know, I see a little girl running down the street and I wonder, I see a little girl in a wheelchair that's smiling and, and, and acknowledging her, her parents or brothers or something and I wonder. Um, and then I go home and see my daughter, and she doesn't do those things, but and yet, she's I hold her and kiss she's her face. Really good at cuddling. She's, she's a good cuddler, and I think, you know, um, everybody's 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 got problems, yeah. and I think that's everybody. Any family is going to have problems, and we have our problems, and we have learned how to deal with them, and and um, you know, I, I think. Uh, to, uh, we used to talk about Jackson a lot and say, wouldn't it be nice if we could always see the world through a six-year-old's eyeballs? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he doesn't see a disabled child. He sees his sister. Um, he doesn't see loss or grief or what she could, what have, she been. could have been. He only sees what she is and he wrestles with her and he 
kisses her and he attacks her and um, he plays with her and and he's accepting of he her without it. even knowing that that's what he's doing. And I think, you know, we we are not allowed to live that way, but if only we could, if only we could just and for 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 a little while just forget about all of that, the rest of it, forget about what what our original dreams were and and to, to just, and and what that would be like for one day um, and I think that's kind of how we live anyway you know we live that way now we as much as we can yeah well we probably should have given everyone the forewarning that they should have packed Kleenexes <laughs> for this episode apologies um, but thank you for opening up and being vulnerable and and sharing our journey through our, our mourning into our constant state of mourning and, and phases of acceptance. I, I love you a lot. Emotions around grief and loss can be complicated and contradictory, especially when you are grieving dreams or someone who is still alive, which is why it is that much more important to have these often uncomfortable conversations with those we love. There was little we could control when it came to Adelaide seizures, and it was easy to feel helpless, hopeless. But in supporting Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE, I was able to regain a bit of control. By raising money for their patient-focused research grants, we could help push science forward. Science wasn't able to catch up to our Adelaide, but we firmly believe that answers and cures are out there for the other 1 in 26 that will be diagnosed with epilepsy in their lifetime. To help us achieve this goal, please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your support and generosity are greatly appreciated. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.